Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. My guest today is Dr. Maria Blecker. She is a clinical associate professor and the founding director of the YU Innovation Lab at Yeshiva University. Maria works at the intersection of startup and academia, which for anyone who has spent any time working in academia knows that they can be polar opposites. The YU Innovation Lab, which we will talk about today, fosters a borderless New York City-based hub that connects startups based in New York City and Israel. The lab provides a launch pad for Israeli startups into the New York tech ecosystem while encouraging collaboration, accelerating innovation, and shaping the next generation of entrepreneurial leaders in business, cybersecurity, biotech, and analytics. Dr. Blecker also serves on the advisory board of Wiz2Biz and Maccabee Ventures and is a mentor with the Israeli American Council. I met Maria several years ago when she hired me as an adjunct in the Yeshiva's MS of a Digital Marketing Program. Welcome to the podcast. I'm very happy to be here, Joanne. And I'm happy to have you. We've had numerous conversations over time, and this is the first one that's being recorded, so I guess we better better behave ourselves, huh? Anyway, what I always like what I always like to do when we start these things is I like to ask my guests to start with telling us where you are from. Well, uh, I'll start. And that's, uh, that's an interesting question because I was born in Russia and my family moved to Israel uh, when I was eight. So I was born in Russia. I spent most of my life in Israel and I moved with my family to the U.S., uh, to pursue my uh, postdoc research um, almost eight years ago. So I would say I'm from Russia, Israel, and now the U.S. And now the U.S. And it's funny, you haven't been here that long, but you definitely have that New Yorker in you. So you clearly adapted very easily. <laughs> a- absolutely. I always felt I have a part of New Yorker in myself, uh, regardless of the of my physical location. So yeah, absolutely. New York was always in the plans for me. So tell us about the YU Innovation Lab. So the YU Innovation Lab is just like you said, a borderless ecosystem for Israeli startups that are interested in exploring and penetrating the American market. And what we do in the Innovation Lab is we combine the uh, business capabilities and our assets that YU and YU's faculty and students and alumni and network can provide and uh, bridge them over to the Israeli startups that that can benefit from those assets. Uh, In addition to that, our students, YU students, are getting the benefit of working directly with founders, with the most cutting-edge startups out there, uh, getting their hands dirty, doing some real research, real work. Uh, And that creates a really win-win situation where the startups are getting to benefit from what YU 
and the eco- in the ecosystem here in New York has to offer and our students getting the benefit of um, working directly with startups, with founders, getting exposed to very exciting uh, areas like cybersecurity, analytics, uh, biotech. And uh, that's what we do in the Innovation Lab. So it, it's relatively new though, isn't it? Yeah, we actually had our official ribbon cutting ceremony in May 2019 in the physical innovation lab, which now it will sound like very surreal, but it's a basement. It's a beautiful space, uh, but without real windows. So um, it's it's a completely pre-COVID world, but we had many people. We had a great uh, ceremony launching the innovation lab. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be two years in May. And, and you're you're the founder. What what gave you this idea to do this? I'm just curious. Well, the Innovation Lab uh, was a part of YU's strategic mission to create a super highway between the Israeli tech and YU. Uh, when the idea started to be discussed, um, I happened to be in the room. And so when I heard about the idea, I've turned on my Israeli initiative and I said, well, this is something I'd like to do. And this is the kind of project I'd like to lead. And um, there, there, there I was just um, establishing it. You got you were in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. I was at the right place at the right time. And I guess I showed up by Israeli chutzpah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, it, I had a, I, I interviewed um, Christian Bausch a couple of weeks ago, and um, he wrote a book called The Serendipity Mindset, and he talks about these types of things where it's not just about being in the right place, but also knowing what to do with it. And the fact that you raised your hand, so to speak, and said, hey, this is something I'm, I'm, I'm up for. Let me lead this. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, th- that's how it was. And I think that uh, I've read someone, I don't remember whose quote it was, that luck is a combination is when opportunity meets preparedness or something along this line. So I think it was an opportunity and I was prepared because this was my space and that was my ecosystem uh, outside YU. This was who I am and what I do. Uh, and I joined YU actually to teach a course about the Israeli business environment. So it makes so much sense, like looking back, uh, if, if, that I would be the person to kind of helping to fa- to found the innovation lab and and shape it. That, but it only occurred uh, to me afterwards. But yeah, yeah, and you and you took that opportunity. So there are other innovation labs. There are other situations like this. Can you can you be, elaborate a little bit more on what makes this one different from others? Because and a lot of universities are doing these types of things now too. So it, that's not that's not the unusual part. Absolutely. So I think um, there are several models of innovation labs, and obviously there are many of them in New York City, and there are many of them in Israel. Uh, and I think so. What makes the Hawaii Innovation Lab unique is 
Well, several features. The first one is that we are the only university in New York that is focused on Israeli startups. There are incubators and accelerators here that are focused on Israeli startups, and there are universities here that do have acceleration and innovation lab programs. However, there is no university that is solely focused on the Israeli startups. So that's um, that's the first uh, thing I'd say and why you definitely have major institutional institutional connections with Israel and uh, and it shows. The other thing is that YU Innovation Lab actually integrates the startup projects into its curriculum. So it's part of the kind of work that students do. It's not an internship, though. We do offer sometimes internships as well. But it is embedded in a curriculum. If students sign up for specific courses, they will be working with Israeli startups. So instead of running another case study, which is great, and I use case studies and I love case studies, this is a great opportunity actually getting uh, what we call hands-on experience, right? Mm -hmm. So the other feature is that our innovation lab really um, embraces the student body of uh, YU and letting them learn by doing Learn by doing it's a, it's a real world experience. It's again, it's you're not talking hypothetically. They get to work with real companies and and hopefully solve real problems. So your focus is on tech, um, which I like to say these days it seems like everything is tech to some degree. But um, we can't really do business without it. Are there specific sectors that you focus on in this lab? It's such a big topic anymore, tech. Yeah, so um, I'd say that we are vertical agnostic, meaning that we work across different sectors. We have startups from ed tech, both with ED and AD, so both for education and advertising. Uh, we have uh, we have startups, not this semester, but we had startups in cybersecurity. We have startups that are uh, using AI for various purposes. We had um, health tech startups, so we're, we're definitely vertical agnostic. I can tell what we not do. What we, what we don't do is we don't do like uh, deep uh, biotechnology, drug development, and the kind of things that it takes uh, five years of FDA approval. Uh, we found that that would not be a good fit for us and for our students. Other than that, we are vertical agnostic and we work with startups across different industries. So where do you see most of the growth happening in the tech sector right now? So I have to say, this is like a second day in the row uh, when I'm asked this question. And I have to say that like, one major trend and one one major direction is definitely utilizing AI and machine learning in every single sector. So I have startups in ed tech, in advertising and startups in education and both utilize uh, machine learning. So that's like one major direction. The other major major direction, and I think uh, this past year with COVID uh, uh, ma- made it even more important, is cybersecurity. You can definitely see the, the growing amount of cyber attacks, and we're all working from home. Not all, but many of us are working from home, and we're using our personal devices in our Wi-Fi networks, and we're much more exposed 
Uh, and so you could see this year, not specifically in YU Innovation Lab, but you could see uh, just outstanding number of Israeli cybersecurity startups uh, that were established and that raised a lot of funding. So this was a great year for the cybersecurity industry. Um, and I think this is something that is going to continue. Um, yeah. Do you, do you, can you, um, and there may, there may be people listening who are like, they hear this term cybersecurity all the time. It's one of these things that we throw around. Could you talk a little bit more about what it really means and how it might affect us as individuals? Um, yeah. So cybersecurity can be a very complicated complex. And I, so I will not go into the details here, but I would say in the, in the form of where it, uh, attacks us or where it meets us, uh, I would suggest that many of us had the experience of receiving an email with an urgent ask uh, to call someone or to wire someone an amount of money. And that's called a phishing attack. And I think that just even by raising the awareness of phishing about phishing attacks, uh, help us all to be more um aware and therefore pay attention and therefore, you know, create a more secure uh, environment for ourselves and for the organizations we work for. Uh, our Wi-Fi is that for, for the vast majority of us are kind of open. If anyone can connect to them and they're easily connected by people who know how to do that, well, you know, they have access to all our personal data. And so there are many of those examples, and I don't know, I don't want to frighten anyone or to scare anyone, but when you really go deeper, uh, there are some potentially scary things that can happen. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of just about being aware of cyber security and potential attacks. And I'm just speaking about the end consumer. I'm not even speaking about orga the organizational level because I think the organization, starting with the financial institution and healthcare and even education uh, uh, institutions and schools and universities, uh, you know, we're all kind of uh, exposed. And I think that brings us to the uh, bloom of the cybersecurity industry and the growth in the sector. No, and it's it's a big word, so it's like, oh my gosh, and when you don't know this stuff, but it's amazing to me how many people don't know that they shouldn't just click a link because Chase sent them something because it's not really Chase, or my favorite was the other day where I got one of those phone calls and I was expecting it from somebody else, and that's the only reason I picked up a number I didn't know and telling me that you know my social security account had been uh, stopped. And um, I needed to call this number, or just hit this number right away. Well, I would never do such a thing because I know better, but not everybody does. You know, the panic that sets in, oh my God, it's the, the IRS would never pick up the phone and call you like that. They'd send you 500 million pieces of paper first, I'm sure. But, um, but there is, there's a lack of awareness on when it, it sounds like, it sounds much more espionage-like that it might even affect us as individuals. It's how we get hacked. Absolutely. It's how we get hacked. It's how the organizations we work for get hacked. I had a personal experience very recently where I, it was Sunday and you probably shouldn't be checking your emails on Sunday, but well, I do. Yeah, let, so, let, me, let me know how that works out. I do the same thing. <laughs> so I see this email from my dean saying, well, please, this is an emergency. Please like do something. I don't even remember what it was. 
But I just texted him and asked, is everything is fine? He's like, yeah, why are you texting me on Sunday? I was like, I just received an email from you. And he's, well, I didn't send anything. And then I reported to IT and it escalated. And apparently, you know, we had a a phishing attack. But I was alert. Someone else would Mm -hmm. click. And so this is how, you know, 70% of the data breaches and 70% of the hacks into organizations are happened through, I think the percentage is about 70, through uh, us, through humans. Uh, not because we're bad or we want to cause damage, but because we're not paying attention, because we're tired, because we're overloaded. Uh, so, yeah, but it's no, there. I, I, think it, I think it's a lack of awareness and it's a lack of education around these things. It's kind of like how social media works. It's the same type of thing is that where most of us are not, you know, again, you and I are in it because we've been in marketing for so long that we're, we know more than your average person does, but a lot of people aren't really aware of even how algorithms are, are being, being created to be so addictive. You know, they, they know they're addictive, but they don't really understand the underlying aspects and the bad actors that are getting involved in this stuff as well. So so cybersecurity is definitely a hot spot for the innovation lab. So a lab by nature means to me at least everybody's in the same room collaborating. <laughs> how did that how did that work out when the pandemic <laughs> ended? <laughs> Amazingly. So uh we do have a beautiful space on our uptown campus. Uh having said that when we were creating the, the innovation lab and when I was building it out, I decided as a borderless ecosystem. So to be honest, I've been utilizing Zoom for the past two, maybe more years because I've been working with Israeli startups. They being in Israel, I'm being here. So in that sense, there was not a major change because for most of the time, our startups were in Israel, even when we were able to meet in person in the pre-COVID world. So the transition was mostly for the students who transitioned online, but for the lab itself, uh, it was a relatively easy transition because it was minor. You know, I just started to make the calls from my home office rather from my uh, office in the university, but most of my work was remote already. I've already spent like a half the first half of my day with Israeli startups on Zoom. Uh, so in a way, we were prepared uh, for that. And, and have you been, I'm just curious, have you been coming up with innovative ways to do this? Because there's, you know, everyone's trying to think out of the box on how to recreate a, especially, I guess, I guess my point is that I think to me, when you're collaborating like that, you're looking to bounce off ideas and, Sometimes they happen because you pass someone on the way to the to get a glass of water, and that it's a little bit more challenging when you're on Zoom and you turn off your camera to go get your glass of water. <laughs> so I'd say again that the the major transition was for students, and I think that they adapted pretty quickly. Like I feel that now, again, we're all familiar with Zoom fatigue, and I think you know we developed those strategies to keep students more engaged and breakout rooms and like individual sessions and all these uh, kind of tactics for the startups. And uh, for me personally, bouncing off ideas, I I was just used 
to do that on camera. Of course, I'm missing my visits to Israel when I would go to an accelerator and I would sit with the founders there and I would speak to the director of the accelerator and I would meet people. So I do miss the personal connection. And obviously there are things that are missing and maybe we, we're missing tons of ideas that would never, you know, pop in our brains because we don't meet each other, uh, you know, in, in the coffee, uh, near the coffee machine. Having said that, I do feel that, um, you know, the transition to online and the pandemic in a way kind of accelerated the innovation lab because oh. it... Um, it deleted the boundaries that people felt that exist. So if some, if like a year ago, someone could tell, well, you know, I prefer to work uh, with uh, students that are here in Israel and like I can meet them in the office today. Well, you know, you cannot meet students in Israel in the office, even if they are located in Israel and, uh, and things like that. And if students were reluctant to work with startups in a different time zone, Today, it doesn't exist because, you know, it, it in a sense, became uh, a status quo. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, people have adjusted and the Innovation Lab adjusted as well. But I personally cannot wait uh, to go back in person. No, I know. I can't, I can't wait to get on a plane and not think that I'm taking my life into my hands just to go any place. I don't care where it is. Absolutely. <laughs> I just, as long as it's not in my, in my uh, little geographic region here, but I think that's true. I, you know, it's interesting that you said that because it makes perfect sense. You know, I, I'm one of those people who believes that this whole pandemic has accelerated where we would have been digitally in the next 10 years in a short period of time. And, and you're right. It changed is our perceptions about how we work with people remotely. And 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 uh, kind of throws out some of those old, maybe antiquated ideas we had about how things things must be. Now you've already had a lot of success with the innovation lab. Are there any successes that you can talk about, or do you have to sign NDAs on that stuff? Well, so, so for some of them, I do have NDAs. Overall, I would say that we successfully helped more than twenty startups to explore the landscape here in the U.S. market. We work with very early stage startups. 90% of them haven't raised any funding yet. So these are really early stage. One of our startups, of the startups that worked with the Innovation Lab, actually just raised funding um, in December. So these were great news. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I, I'd say that I define success uh, by the impact we're making on startups. And so sometimes it takes time from the moment they kind of complete their work with us to the, to the time that they're going uh, and raising funding or just uh, keep bootstrapping and growing. So I'd said by now we help uh, and we work with more than 20 Israeli startups helping them to explore um, the competitive landscape and do some customer discovery and validate their problem and a solution uh, in the American market and made impactful connections for them uh, and for their future once they decide to actually move um, to the U.S. And how are they finding you? How, or how are, are you finding them or how is that going? How is that working? So that's a funny question because uh, in a way, when I started to build 
Uh, the innovation lab, one of the things I went uh, out and, and worked on is uh, building a strong network of incubators and accelerators in Israel uh, that, you know, that would be feeder to us, that, that will uh, be a source of startups because we accept startups that are post-acceleration or incubation program. Uh, and so we do have today several strategic partners that we work with and collaborate with, and they're just sending uh, their startups our way. And then they, you know, we have an application process and we review them. So that's one way. And the other way is really word of mouth. Every semester I get an application from someone who heard from someone or our alumni startups recommend their founder or friends to join the innovation lab. So. Uh, it's word of mouth, which I'm very happy about because for me, you know, it's a validation. It means that we're doing something right. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have strategic partners uh, that also, uh, you, know, uh, you know, are a great uh, way for us to recruit startups. And we're always open to other startups that are coming from other sources as well. Uh, so this semester, we actually have a startup from Argentina. And last semester, we also had a startup from Argentina. And the funny story behind that is that one of the students in the CAT school uh, heard about the Innovation Lab and asked me, you know, when we were still back in person, and this is the kind of things that would happen when we would bump into each other in the office and asked me if his friends who have a startup in Argentina can apply. And I said, sure, why not? And they applied <laughs> and, and they were accepted. And we had students who did a great job for their startup. And then they recommended us to their friends who also have a startup in Argentina. You know, that's, uh, th th that's a great story. And, you know, it shows how word of mouth works. And we have similar, similar things going on in Israel, like people who recommend uh, other people. You know, it, it's funny because as, as many innovative and wonderful tools we have in marketing today, word of mouth is still, it, it's still one of the best tools. And it's one of the things that seems to work the best. I think it's one of the ways that kind of helps you to assess and validate your value proposition and what you're doing. Uh, you know, there, there, there was a theory or I, again, I don't recall who said that, but the one, the one question you need to ask your customers is, would you recommend mm -hmm. our service to your friend? And I think when someone actually says, well, yeah, you should apply to this program. They're doing a great job and they helped me a lot. This is, uh, the best uh, validation we can uh, we can have organic growth, right? Yes. Yeah, do you have a vision? I, you know, I, I hate even to ask this question anymore because we've gone through this crazy year where to say where can you see the lab in five years or ten years is after last year. It's like anyone who had an idea in January went into the trash bucket right about now, but um, of where they wanted to be. But do you have a vision for where you see this? Are you going to continue to expand to other countries? Do you think or? So I think we will continue to grow. Uh, I think our major focus will be in Israel, though I'd love to have uh, corporations with other countries and startup and having international startups in. I'd love to work more with New York-based startups. I think 
uh, now when we established a very strong connection like with the Israeli side, we do want to expand locally and help New York to rebuild after the pandemic and support the economic development and job creation and bring this innovation here and really, uh, you know, help the city uh, to get back. And and um, and so that that's that's in my vision. Keep on, keep on, keep on growing. So. Um, just let's go to the personal aspect for a minute here before we we start to wind down. This last year has been challenging for everybody. <laughs> how did you per- how did you personally adapt? Because you're a mom, you're a mom, so you're you're doing the the work and the the managing the kids. <laughs> yeah, my kids haven't been in school for a year, starting March 2020. Wow. Uh, I have to say that. It's been a learning process. Uh, For me, probably the most challenging part was to separate work from life since, you know, you work from home. And, uh, but, uh, you know, it's still a learning process. Uh, But now I close my home office door whenever I finish work (laughs) and I keep it closed till the following morning. That takes a lot of discipline, though. I mean, I, I have my, my, desk in my kitchen area here. So it doesn't really have a door around it, but it takes a lot of discipline to do that. It, it does. And it, it took me time to realize that I have to do that. Otherwise I'm constantly in the office. Listen, I love the work that I'm doing. I potentially can work, you know, 24 uh, seven, but I'm working and I'm home and I'm working and I'm home. And at some point I realized that I need kind of to start setting some boundaries. And one of the boundaries, it's literally a physical one. So you, you, the door is closed, like you're out of the office, at least for you know the next few hours. Uh, other than that, you know, I live in New Jersey, which is the garden state. And I have to say that I enjoy the nature a lot during spring and summer and fall because I was able to, you know, after after I was done with work, instead of commuting, I was able to go for a walk in a park, and it uh, and I love nature, and the nature here is beautiful, so it was very uh, recharging. Yeah, I, I know it's it's funny some of the things that we've gotten into the habit of. I, I said I was teaching a class last night, and I said the best thing about teaching online is that when we're done. I don't have to get on the subway to come home. I can just put my pajamas on and I've now I've got some extra time. But um but it is it is an interesting experience that we've all gone through. So um as we start to wrap up here, is there any advice that you might have for people on the entrepreneurial track? Uh yeah, I would say be very open minded and flexible and uh be prepared uh, to take on opportunities that show up and uh, be open to opportunities and uh, try to say yes more than you say no. Uh, I think at least for me, it worked well. Uh, yeah, I'd say just be very open-minded. Don't be fixated on one idea. Like this is the one thing I have to do. In, and if I don't do that, that is the end of the world. First of all, for entrepreneurs, nothing is the end of the world. Like the, your life will be full with failures, but they're not really failures. They're just learning experience. It's a failure if you're ne- 
if you, you know, you fall and you don't stand up, but if you fall and you stand up and you learn from, uh, you know, from, you understand the reasons um, for, for, for the falling and you just move, move on. So I think just be open-minded and flexible and agile. Again, if you're in this world, you better um, practice, practice, yoga. practice what you preach. I think you cannot be an entrepreneur and you cannot be in this world. Again, it's very generalizing. You know, you can be an entrepreneur and you can be in this world and still be very kind of have a fixated, fixed mindset, though I would say it's going to be much easier for you if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to work in the startup world. You want to be agile. That's the core of of the startup, uh, of every startup. So you want to be practicing what you preach. Yeah, I, I think that um, even if you're not in the entrepreneurial sector right now, being agile is something we've all had to experience firsthand in the last year. And I don't think any of that's going to change anytime soon because anyone who's actually predicting what's going to happen next is lying if they think they have the prediction because I don't think anyone is really a hundred percent certain how um like things like how we're going to build re- new york re- rebuild new york we'll rebuild new york but i don't know exactly how it's all going to happen yet um step by step i suppose you have to be agile and see how things go along maria it's been delightful having you here where can people find you in the innovation lab uh well people can find me on linkedin uh, we have the Innovation Lab website and the Innovation Lab Medium channel. I would say LinkedIn is the easiest way to go, both for me personally and the Innovation Lab page. Okay, and I will put all of those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Joanne. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... Whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.